0: Christmas, and Advent, in, in a way, is sort of the Christian New Year, the church New Year. So it wouldn't be totally appropriate, right, to wish everyone, even though we just finished decorating the tree, to wish everyone a Happy New Year, right, because uh, the calendar and the church kind of changed uh, beginning now. And uh, what better topic, what more appropriate discussion to have on any kind of New Year than the end of the world, right? Who doesn't want to talk about the end of the world when we're looking? (laughs) We weren't really taking a vote, but it was sort of. (laughs) But it was a short week, so that's all I got prepared, Mary. So we're going to go with this. (laughs) Now, a few weeks ago, you may remember, we had this conversation about the coming into the world. And we looked at uh, 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 the story that Mark gave us of. The disciples and Jesus being at the temple, and the disciples were marveling at the work of the temple, and ooh, ah, Jesus, look at this building, and Jesus, in a nutshell, says, well, yeah, look at it now. Now you see it in a while, now you won't. And he gave some other description. That we call that, if you remembered, the little apocalypse, right? And we had that conversation. Well, this new year in our lectionary cycle that we, it's a three-year lectionary cycle, if you're not familiar with it, that we take to, look at different uh, Bible passages, in year C, which we'll begin today, uh, our gospel that we'll spend so much of our attention on over the next year is the gospel according to Luke, right? In, in year B that we just finished, if you, if you were able to catch it, we spent a lot of time in the gospel according to Mark. Mark. Now, John is thrown in there all those three years because, as you know, John is just an important book, right? So... <laughs> So, we begin uh, this year by looking at the gospel according to Luke, and that's what we read out of just a few moments ago. And this, what we read, is, is Luke's account of Mark's account of his little apocalypse that we read over uh, a few weeks ago. Now, I think you should put these two together. You should kind of compare them. There are some differences, there's some things that are in one that aren't in the other. There's some things that even may sound just a little bit different from the other. I think we would do well to take time to study those. One thing in particular, though, I think that we have today in Luke's account is one thing that's so important for us as we consider, whether we want to or not, right, what the what the idea of the end may be. It's a powerful image, I think, and I'm not quite sure why Mark didn't include it. Maybe he didn't know about Jesus saying it. Maybe he didn't realize. Maybe he forgot. Who knows? But Mark doesn't include it, but Luke does, and I think it's a powerful image for us to, to keep in our minds when we have this conversation about maybe what the end is. And a few weeks ago also, you remember, we talked about some of those movies that have come out that have talked about the end of the world, and we, in a way, kind of poked fun at them. And now I want you to realize, though, all those movies sort of have the same theme, right? The world's coming to an end. Ah! Right? So people run and they scatter. But really, does the world ever really end in the stories? No, because then you wouldn't have the rest of the movie, Right? What always happens? A group of few are able to escape the wrath and destruction. They're able to hide out. And when everything's over, they, they assume they come on out. And amidst all the chaos that's there, they're able to stand up. And then it's their responsibility to rebuild, right, and to carry on. In a way, signifying that there is hope, right? Nobody wants to go watch a movie that really... Ends with the end of the world. There's always just that little bit of hope. And I think that's what Luke gives to us today. It's been noted for many years by professional dietitians, amateur dieters, that the word desserts spelled backwards is stressed. Yes. Now, sometimes when we think about this whole end of the world business, we can kind of get that way. And I think what Luke might be implying to us, and maybe even the other gospel writers, that what Jesus is telling us, that's not how we respond. When we hear or when we confess together that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again, that shouldn't breed in us fear or anxiety. It should remind us the hope we have in Christ. It should remind us that in the very end, as much as today, God is, and God has always been, in control. So we don't have to be fearful. Instead, we can remember what Jesus said when he Reminded us, now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. See, this isn't something we're trying to avoid. This isn't something that we're just terrified about. In fact, it's quite the opposite. That when we see these things come to pass that perhaps Jesus might have been cluing us into, maybe in a way we're supposed to rejoice and be hopeful. Now, we can talk about hope in the future all we want, about that last day, and soon and very soon, right? Like we're going to uh, sing in a little bit. But sometimes what we need to hear is right now at this very moment, there's hope. I'm persuaded to think that so many of us in the church are not ready for the end to come because we haven't maybe heeded what Jesus was trying to tell us. See, in all this end times theology and all this uh, uh, biblical prophecy prophecy expertise and all these types of things, what I miss so much is some of the words that Jesus gave us. I don't know that the goal is for us to try to look back and say, hey, this happened in history and this means duh. I don't think we're supposed to spend so much of our energy and efforts and time and figure okay, this person meant this and this trying to arrange this. The problem is people have been trying to do that for over 2,000 years. And here we are. I think what Jesus would remind us is that that's not our job to do. What our job to do is to be ready and to be in prayer. And I don't think so many of us are ready for that last day because we haven't figured out how to be ready today. I think there's probably plenty of stories in this church and every other church in the world of people who maybe felt like their world was ending. Or maybe even wished their world was ending. It's in those times mostly that we're familiar with people you know, coming to prayer and, and maybe asking the questions, God, why is this happening and why are you doing this to me and what's wrong with me and what's wrong with you and, Why, why, why? And I don't think those are incredibly wrong questions to ask. But I think, though, that when we can understand what Christ might be reminding us, I think maybe in those times the better question we can then ask ourselves is, God, what can I learn from this? God, what can this teach me about you or even about me and our faith? See, Jesus doesn't tell us to be so concerned of trying to pinpoint everything about uh, what may or may not be going on in the world. What I think he wants us to know is our job is to be prepared, and the way we prepare is to be in prayer. If our prayer life consists mostly of thank you, Jesus, for this food, amen, I don't know if we quite get the connection that Jesus might be telling us. I think we might be called to a greater idea of what prayer means for us. Prayer is not the quick fix out of a hard time. Prayer is not the uh, make it all right when nothing else seems to work, fix either. Prayer, I believe, in, in many ways, is a gift that we have from God, a gift to connect us to God, to Christ, and even, in a lot of ways, to each other. And when we ignore that gift, well, it's kind of like when you rec- when you give a gift to someone on Christmas, right, and you've thought long and hard about what you wanted to give, you've You had it wrapped nicely. Maybe you couldn't do it yourself, so maybe you had somebody else do it for you. And you go to give that gift, and they open it up, and it's kind of like, oh. Yet many times that's the way we treat the gift of prayer. Oh, yeah, we forgot to do that, didn't we, God? Oh, well, it's okay. I'm smart enough. We'll figure it out. Yeah, well, somebody else is praying for me, so we should be okay. Right? Well, maybe. But then we don't take the gift. and The gift was given to all of us. The story I'll share with you. uh, Gene Giano, who tells a story of how he met a shepherd in the French Alps in 1913. And uh, in this area where he was, uh deforestation had, had just wiped everything out in this land. And no more trees, no more, no more anything, no more foliage anywhere in, uh, in this area where they were. And consequently, what happened is all the villages who were, who were there, the people, well, they had nothing else to hold on to. The wind would come, and, of course, the wind has nothing to hold it back. And so winters became just fearful, and so they had to leave. And so the land was left barren, no people, resources begin to dry. One day, as Gene is out uh, mountain climbing, he comes across this uh, shepherd and, through a conversation, gets invited to spend the evening uh, in his uh, hut there on the mountain. And they ate dinner together, and after dinner, as they were getting ready just to call it a night, Gene noticed that the the shepherd was counting out acorns. And later what he came to find out was that each night, the shepherd would count out 100 acorns. And in the next days, he would take those acorns like he had for three or four years, and he would begin to plant them. And it's estimated that he planted over 100,000 of those acorns. Now, only 20,000 of them sprouted up. And out of that 20,000, he figured probably half of those would either be eaten by rodents or you know, the weather would take care of them. But years passed, and Gene went back to that area after World War I and noticed that the land had started to change some. And even still, even more, after World War II, that shepherd, he kept planting. And all those years had passed, and many more of those trees began to spring up. And what it did is it brought life back to that area that region, people began to move back. And when they came back, they brought their family. They brought their young children. They brought life. They brought hope back in. And so the the place that Gene went back to so many years later was not the place that he had first visited. Because that one man took time to plant those acorns. And in many many ways, I think that when we learn to pray, that is what we are doing. When we learn to pray for the life of another person, maybe we don't see that result spring up how we would like it to or when we would like it to. But over time, the prayers are the faithful. Right? We become that person who can give seed when it's needed, give hope when it's needed, offering ourselves, offering our prayers for each other. When we all joined the United Methodist Church, isn't that one of the things we committed ourselves to doing? Is praying for one another. There is power in prayer. There is a gift that we have in prayer. My challenge to you is to cherish that gift, use that gift, and give that gift in Jesus' name.